G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dean Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. We are fortunate to be speaking with Steve Kendall and Kendall Working Dogs. Steve, picking who he asked the best question of the night and maybe win a bag of Enduro Plus high-energy food working dogs with real candy, as will Steve for being a guest tonight. How are you going, Steve? Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you're welcome, mate. Thanks for thanks for ha having us on board, mate. Uh, how was your day? It's not not too bad. I've been on the sheep chase. I actually was doing a bit of cattle today, chasing cattle around and and uh, lining up jobs for the week. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Oh, happy days. Long mm -hmm. long day, mate. You guys got some wet weather down there as well, or? Oh, look, we're looking for a bit of rain. Uh, we've had a fantastic summer. It's been amazing here at uh, Wagga, where I'm located, and. It's been pretty soft, really. Um, but we're looking for an autumn break, a bit of follow-up rain, and really get the season cranked up. It's been a bit of sowing activity going on. Um, yeah, if we get a bit of rain here now, to really crank the season up and get it going. It'd be fantastic. Can you send some? Beautiful. <laughs> we'll jump straight into it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what you do day-to-day? Sure. Uh, well, I'm from Wagga. That's where I was born and bred, Wagga Wagga, here in southern New South Wales. Uh, I don't live on the family farm. It's down the road. I'm actually on a, on a property that my brother and I put together in a, um, I was in a long-time family partnership in farming uh, with my brother. And as things progressed, uh, I took on this property here. I live on 20 kilometres north of Wagga. Um, so 20 odd years, 25 years working in a family farming operation, a few little stints along the way, Jackaroo as a kid in Queensland, um, a bit of time in Avatars, 10 years as a shearer, and uh, spent a bit of time burning diesel, putting crops in, which uh, nearly did my head in. And mm -hmm. uh, but I was running a livestock operation in that in that uh, family partnership, but, uh, you know, cropping sort of creeps in and away we go. And about 10 years ago, uh, I decided I could change things a little bit. And I went and got myself licensed and started uh, working as a as a livestock agent. Yeah, a couple of companies were good enough to take me on. And I just thought some of my life experiences and, uh, uh, you know, just through trading stock myself and breeding stock, etc, had something off of the industry. So I backed that and um, I currently work at Nutrient Wagga Wagga. Now I've been with them for Oh, eight to ten months now, and um, yeah, I like to think we bring to people uh, that first-hand experience, uh, etc. So we run a place here, four hundred forty acres. Um, <clears throat> it's not a big place, but we trade stock, we breed composite sheep, and we trade sheep and cattle. Breed uh, breed dogs and breed horses. Um, breed quite a few horses, and we sell them through the um, nutrient sale at Tamworth and some privately, and. Um, yeah, that's pretty much raised three children along the way and uh, still carving out a living. So that's pretty much <laughs> where I'm at at this stage. And tell us, mate, um, what's, what buzz did you get out of being a livestock agent? Oh, I, 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 I love being able to um, deal for people like just you've got to let me make money, you know, and you can trade lambs, trade trades. I do like setting them, setting them up in a breeding operation where they want to go into first cross op breeding operation or into composites, uh, anything like that, or trading steers or, you know, setting people up in a, in a cattle breeding operation. I, I really like setting that foundation up with people and then 
you you grow together. Like, but that's I do enjoy that part of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool, mate. And growing up um, in Wagga on the family farm, obviously we know where your passion come from and um, your ability to muck around for working dog. Mate, was did you ever have the um, alternative of doing something extra than being on the farm or was that um, or, or considered doing something different? Oh, I would have been, I probably would have been a butcher if I, had, if, if I hadn't. <laughs> Look, I, I wanted to leave school when I was 10 to go drove and that was what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I was a kid who used to catch the pony, take the dogs up, take them out, muster them, and my dad would go crook on me for it. But I would have went driving, but I had a pretty smart older brother who said, my dad said, go, you'll have a great time. But the older brother said, no, I think we can do a bit more with you, and and which um, <clears throat> probably didn't hurt me too much. But, yeah, look at my aspirations. I, I would have been a butcher. I, I still... I still do a bit of home butchery and make a few sausages and stuff, and I do enjoy it. Uh, it didn't last very long. I went and did work experience at a major butchery in Wagga, and they put me in the fruit and veggie section. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much where the career went. So I took up shearing, which is as close to being a butcher as I could be when I was alone. <laughs> it was it was pretty close. So, um, yeah, that was probably yeah, – I wouldn't have lasted in any of those trades, which I didn't as a shearer because it was a means to an end. I still would have come back to a property or a livestock industry that, that it was revolved around anyway. It was always where I was going to go. There was yeah. no doubt about that. that. That was what I I wanted to do and that's what I still want to do today. So it was never going to change. Um, you offer me big money, chuck it out, but I'll do anything. But I still I think you got to do what you enjoy and that's that was is what I would do for sure. Yeah. Mate, so obviously you've been around the industry for a long time. You've seen a lot of people handle stock. Have you noticed a change in the way, you know, over, the, say, the last 10 years or even more so in the last 10 months being a, an agent? Have you noticed a shift in the way people handle stock? Oh, look, it's been, yeah, it's a busy, the world's a busy place. Now everyone's in a hurry. They want yeah. things done tomorrow, you know. it's it's not, I, I don't think many people today would know would be game to take sheep out on the road and, um, and take them driving or, or drive sheep from one property to the other. I don't think yeah. they'd have the skill and mindset. They'd be up and with a full motorbike, two horn as hard as they could. Um, they wouldn't be game to take their dogs out on the road. They think they think that you know they get get them. You know they wouldn't be able to cope with it. Um, you know we we ran a range of properties around this area here in in our operations, leasing, sharing properties, and and I'd walk sheep everywhere all on my own. I mean, old dad used to come with me and help me, but um, you know there's the the biggest problem I see in the livestock industry is is a is a lack of um, of commitment to it, time and thought process. They just want to get it done. They think it's the hardest work of, of the whole operation. You know, they all want to market them and breed them, but they don't really want to pay that much attention to work them. And um, I think one of the biggest gaps in our industry is uh, there's not enough emphasis on training young people how to work dogs or I won't say work dogs. It's part of it, but work livestock, like general livestock training and um you know, that comes with stockmanship. So um, <clears throat> you only see a few young blokes come through nowadays who, who, who are really keen on it, but the most yeah. people are sure they don't, they don't really want to go there. So, yeah, that's what I see in it, but they, they, don't, they don't think. Um, look, as some of us pride ourselves, it's a trade to us, you know, working livestock, but there's a lot of people don't see it that way. Is there anything other than that that makes you sort of shy away from certain people or certain things they do? 
doesn't take much to shy away from. My dad used to say, the more I see some people, the more I like their dogs. That's a pretty cool saying. Can yeah. I, can I, is that copyrighted or can we use that? Oh, it belongs to Jack Condell. He's not here anymore to sign it over, so he passed it down to me. So it's in my, it's in my repertoire that I use. Um, but I, I agree wholeheartedly with him, the fact that, um, oh, look, this is not, it doesn't necessarily make me shy away from people. This, this certainly doesn't, you know, really impress you that much when somebody's absolutely doing their block work and stock and, and you know, really, you know, making a chore out of it. It's, it doesn't impress me much. No, I think, I think it's, um, you know, if you don't enjoy it, why do it? You know, it's, yeah. it's like it's, it's a job that I enjoy and, and I make hard work out of it. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to think people would, would put a little bit more effort into it. So, yeah, look, it's it, – yeah, certainly. If someone's doing this stack or, or just ripping into sheep or stock or in general, no, I don't. Yeah, I, I would shy away from that because I'd rather somebody work them constructively, you know, because – it's the way to do it, you know. This job's got to be done, so you won't get anywhere throwing them around and bullying them. You might as well work work with them and get it done. Absolutely. Do you find that you um, you adapt or change your style of handling um, with different breeds of stock? Well, it, working in the sale yards, we, we can handle ten. We, we as an agent might pen ten thousand for the day, yeah, lambs, absolutely. and then come back to three, three and a half thousand sheep. You see every breed known to man and one of the biggest things I did I have learned through ten years as a livestock agent is not many people educate their stock. Their stock yeah. they don't see dogs, they don't expect dogs. Um, they they just they're just not educated. Um, when I was running our farming operation, I didn't think it was a chore because I never got beaten the stock or educated. Um, there was a gate there to go through and they generally went they went through. Um, <clears throat> in regards to your question that on different short, sure. you know, merinos, you, you, you can't overwork them. You've got to you've got to work with them. Dorpers, well, sometimes you, you need dog power, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you turn it turn it on, get them started, and you leave it alone. Uh, Marina sheep, you can if you keep working hard on them, you'll just end up in a big knot with them. Um, sometimes you got to go forward, backwards to go forward. Sometimes you got to unload, go back to back of the pen, and let them string out, and come forward, and fish out a leader. Uh, crossbreeds, someone dig their toes in and don't want to go. Um, it's just a matter of outmaneuvering the stock and giving them a choice to go somewhere, and that is the direction you want them to go. So certainly, all all different, you know, sucker lambs, uh, big old marina weathers, they all take handling different. You can't just go in there all guns blazing and and try and bully them around, etc. Like that, you, you'll be out of ammunition. You've got to you've got to just work constructively with position and your dogs and. Once you get flow and establish flow, it's you've only got to maintain it. It's not rocket science. That's all you've got to do. Just get a start and keep that start going. Um, that's basic principle on all stock for me. But for sure, some need some need a, a heap of punch, and some they need a little bit of touch. It's just what gets the job done. So tell us a bit about what you think the importance of pressure relief work on low stress stock handling is. Um, why it's important, or if you don't think it is. Your opinions on it? Low stress on people might be a little bit more. They could take a chill pill. They should be doing a little bit more low stress people. Uh, <laughs> they, they really do. Yeah, like, you know, I do 
you know, quite a few working dog clinics and people get sent there by their wives or the wives come <laughs> because uh, because it's, a, it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it's everybody gets in a knot and our draft sheep at a, at a property here where the wife came over two or three days ago and she said, oh, he's in a sheep yard mood, so she left, you know. So um, <laughs> that's, that's getting off track. But um, it's sure, yeah, look, it's, it's – I'm not – I'm not into the into the psychology sort of part of it, but yeah. it it certainly is. Um, it does play a part that, that you've got to work with your stock. You've got to you've got to be able to to um, you know you just can't you just can't build them around you. you know, sometimes it just doesn't work. You've got to think think another way. And as I said earlier, sometimes you, you've got to give to take. Sometimes you've got to go back and come forward. Just you got to knot in the in the in the race. We just unknot it and just get get a lead again and fish one out. Um, and the other thing I think is, is as much as low stress stock handling or techniques is, I still go back to what I say. It's it's all about giving the stock a choice, and the choice is the right choice. So yeah. it's it's that's all it is. It's just shape position and 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 you know sending the dogs or positioning yourself in the right in the right position and applying the right amount of force at the right time and and getting a start and keeping it going. So it's. It, to me, it, it's not necessarily hard. I don't make it stressful because I don't want to be stressful myself or, or the or the stock or the dog. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's got its place. Um, do I practice it? I practice Steve Condell stock handling. That's all I can tell you. You know, just, <laughs> we go about it. Yeah. Um, and, and a little earlier, you mentioned is Steve Condell stock handling says there's a gate. I want you to go through it. How do you educate your your stock with a big cattle sheep to, you know, to find what to go through? How, what's your process? Oh well, it's all it's all about timing, position, control. It's it's about where where your dogs are at any particular time, and and where which which side you send the dog into the pen. You know, you can blow it from the beginning. You can send the dog the wrong way and push them all to the back and get them in a knot in the corner. Um, yeah. send the, read the play, the stockmanship, you, you, you look into the pen and you go, right, put a dog down that side, just get a bit of a roll-up, um, come in, put a bit of bit of, uh, a bit of of a force in there, maybe just a bit of sideways force on the lead and, and get a start and go back and get the rest. Um, that's that's basically it. You know, it's not, it's, you know, I use, you know, dogs in a team um, where you've got a, a dog moving forward, you know, backing if you're in a yard situation. I've got one keeping the tail coming up. Um, <clears throat> it's just basically if you're just out manoeuvring the stock and giving them a choice to go forward and, and um, in some ways you just keep rolling until a lead a lead pops out. A lot of it's in the shape, in the shape of the stock, how you shape them up and, and present them to the gate. Um, you know, I, I've seen in my work, people working, you know, sending dogs into wrong positions and, and totally you're making a knot out of it where it, would, it could have been quite simple. A dog only has to go to the right side and there's a sheep looking to go. I can see it from on the draft and they send the wrong way, send it back and bottle it up and it's over. Um, so, yeah, look, it's just a, it's just stop and ship. I, I, I can't explain it, but I can't. It's just what I see. Yeah. Um, maybe they don't see that. So what type or style of dog do you prefer? Oh, I like oh. the type... We talking breed here, or we talking just general work? In general, just just in general, I, I like dogs that are more on and off. I, I like dogs that have that have got got work in them. In them, uh, but I like dogs that that that, 
better there. Um, it's easier to stop than it is to start them. Uh, so I like my dogs with, with, with a fair bit of work in them and I can bottle that up and use it to my advantage. I don't go in there all guns blazing. I, I use it when I need it. Um, I like dogs that, uh, so I like them with a bit of punch to answer your question. I like them with a, with a bit of bark and a bit of punch. And um, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not big on on um, on silent dogs or um, <clears throat> dogs that uh, have a little bit of trouble moving their stock. I, I'd rather have the dog on the job rather than off there. So yeah, I, I like them a bit more forward than probably most people do, but yeah. I think I think I can contain that, hold it, and keep it to my advantage. Um, that dog that when I unleash the beast, it's there rather than yeah. I have to dig in there and grab it and 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 find it. Um, that's that works in a lot of in, in a lot of areas that if you've got that little bit little bit left, sure they take some holding. Um, some people don't like it, but I I, I just like that. That's probably what attracted me to work dogs in the first place is is the, is dogs with a bit of punch, and um, I've probably never lost that throughout all my dogs. Um, hopefully I don't. It's a long day without it, my opinion. <laughs> and you mentioned there attracting the working dogs, mate. Can you can you remember your first dog? What, what was your first dog? Well, the first dog was um, uh, he was a he was a crossbred dog like, like we all start out with with a, a black and white dog of limited breeding and um, limited ability too, I guess. Uh, I took him to Queensland to work on a station in Queensland at Deer and Band in Queensland, and the head stockman yeah. told me that he was no good. But uh, he uh, he ended up learning to lead cattle and he learned to work and um, and he. Uh, and then the head stock, who was a very good stockman, who I actually credit a lot of my um, abilities and uh, uh, knowledge to, he told me then they said he's not a bad dog. And, um, and he was all right. But the point I'll make is that that um, he, he um, I, I realised through that dog I was putting, putting him in so many positions to get so many things done. And it really didn't change for me until I got into purebred dogs. That's when the whole thing changed. Um, and then, yeah, there was there's a list of dogs along the way that that um, that yeah far outshone that first dog. But let's say I I own a few bugs out with him and and um, hell, if I put some time into dogs today, like I put into him, I reckon I'd have some world beaters. But but uh, yeah, he got me started. And oh, look, when I started in dogs, you know, any dog was a dog to me. My dad just had good station dogs of limited of, of limited breeding. Um, limited ability but dad was a good stockman and i thought they were champions um he did too uh, he didn't know any different i didn't know any different but yeah. once you get out in the big white world and you start to see what's out there yeah. um that's when, that's when it really you know traveling and getting exposure to it um that's when it sort of changed for me so again i suppose i've just been lucky that you know i made a dog out of that dog and i've probably done it all my life i've had the had the ability or the luck to be able to make make dogs to myself the operation that I'm in at any one time. And and what about these days? What have you got in your team? Well it's just a work team, it's nothing special. It's, see I've kept you know we you know I've always been aligned with stud dogs and dogs of breeding. So um look I've got a, a dog there that I got off Neil Taylor at um Holbrook there Giles Creek is he's a dog I call Mr. Cricket. Neil's a, a, a big cricket fan. Yeah. He makes yeah. dogs after for a Warney and McGrath and all those, and and so yeah. uh, he's a he goes back to bounce to the old dog, and he's a likable big 
big dog. Um, that look, I think he could trial if I put him to it, but he's a very good dog in the sale yard environment around the property. He does my job, and that's probably the basis of my whole fear. He's only got to please yourself, and that's me. So he, I, I like his attitude. Um, he's uh, and I've got a and just uh, I've got a, a bitch. I got off Billy Luffy. She's getting a bit aged on her now, but she's Cotway. She's a, she's a very good paddock bitch. Um, and I've got three or four by Twitchy Ace, the, the last side dog that I had. Um, mm-hmm. Bitches I've retained, um, which are breeding, you know, just really good all round station dogs that say so yard dogs slash do anything with dogs to me anyway. Um, that's it. There's nothing really. Oh, we've got a dog there that um, Nicky claimed he's, he's by um, he's by Brock um, Dean Inches Brock, which is his grandson to bounce a dog of mine, and um, Nicky's claimed him as her dog, and I take him right yeah. to the sale yards and so we share <laughs> oh, in a way. But, but yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's still there's still plenty there, but nothing nothing special that call superstars. Just and you mentioned earlier, like a dog that comes forward and harder to handle types, and then just in there you mentioned attitude and being in the sale yards. Obviously, you're on show a lot, so obviously temperament's pretty important to you as well. Temperament, yeah, in dogs. Well, yeah. temperament is to me absolutely like temperament is you know can you can you get through the day? Yeah, can you start in there at one o'clock in the morning and still be going at two o'clock in the afternoon? You know, and can you? You draft various ranges of stock and you know, unload trucks and bring them up the lane and and um, and draft and pen and unload and then you know go into a paddock job after that as well. Temperament, yeah, the can-do attitude or the or the, the want to keep to keep coming on with the job and and handle humans. You know, it's yeah. a pressure situation. So yeah, it's, you know, it's got to be on. Oh, absolutely, and, you're on show, right? Well, you thought on show, you, you are in a way, it, it, it's a job that's got to be done. I pride myself on it. The fact that, you know, if I'm panning up for the draft, like there's no gaps, I want those sheep going. Um, I find the dogs thrive on it, you know, in, in regards to temperament. No, there's no, there's no light temperaments there. Like it's, it's you're in the ruck. It's a, it's a, it's a place, hard work place to be. Yeah. And, um, and they thrive on it. So, look, I've always just selected that, you know, for temperament. That dogs have got to, got to be able to, to, um, They've got to take the heat. If if it's on, it's on. And, and it's probably no, you know, you're handling those sorts of numbers that we do. And various, like I say, there's you could be drafting, you know, there could be 600 sheep in the mob and 25 marina rams scattered amongst that with between lambs and weathers and ewes, et cetera, in a mixed up mob that comes down. Like there's no, you know, they can't say, oh, I don't like working rams, et cetera. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, it's hot, you know, it's, it's concrete. So they, the temperament or their attitude towards work is absolutely everything for me, yeah. So question here from Nick Hovey. If you could if you could have cloned a dog, who would it be and why? If I could sorry if I could what, sorry? Clone a dog or bring one back or something. Clone a dog. Yeah. Yeah, okay. If I could clone a dog, who would it be and why? Um well <laughs> Probably in my team, it'd probably be bounce gone out of bounce. Would probably be the dog that I that I'd probably take on. But as admittedly, you know, I I don't have a size son by him, etc. Time things move on, you don't get lucky enough to keep him. But there was plenty there. But 
he dug me out of a heap of spots that dog and and um he was he was in hard work situations he was he was as good as i've had so look i'd i'd probably take him i i i would only probably talk about my own dogs i i I know my dogs inside and out. They suited me. They suited what I wanted to do. I don't think I'd aspire to have anybody else's dog and client in there because I don't know where that dog's – I saw them on show. I saw them at, at competitions. We talked at, at the pub afterwards and they told me how good they were and they told me not very often how bad they were. But I, I don't think <laughs> I, can, I can look at another dog and say, yeah, I'll, I'll clone that dog and put him in my operation. I don't know whether it suit me. I know if I was to clone one of my own dogs, it, I know it would suit me and that's – that's probably the bottom line for me is that they'd have to suit me, my temperament, my style, what I do, and that would be it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So Rick Freeman's asked, do you want something different from the way a dog works dairy cattle or goats um, compared to dry cattle or sheep? Oh, it's all in the – it's all in the – in what's what you dealt. So – yeah, exactly. You know, if you want to go and, you know, if they're tough, I'll be tough. If they're free, easy moving, I'm, I'm free and easy moving. If they want to be bit, I'll bite them. You know, if they're yeah. asking for it, they'll, they'll be a bit. Um, so it's all the education. So in, in it's whatever it takes. The only way I can answer this question is whatever it takes to get the job done. And that is if it's bark, it's bark. If it's silent, it's silent. If it's, if it's bite, it's bite. If it's way off them and let them, let them, Drift, it's that. That is your job as a stockman to, to deal with what you've got in front of you and your job is to bring them in and draft them, sort them, manage them and put them back in the paddock. And that's the bottom line. So whatever you've got, if they're wild, I guess we're going to have to get wild. If they're tame, well, I guess we're going to do it pretty easy, aren't we? So yeah. that's the best answer I can give you. It, it's it's no rhyme or reason. It's, it's, it's what you dealt with his head you're going to have yeah. to work with it um you go in like with the old crossbred use and you go all guns blazing from the get-go with a heap of bark and noise and punch and you don't get what you're after you're out of ammunition so you better be smart about it. that's that's the way i'm i'm looking at it so uh look sure you you don't want to be over if they're quite old dairy cows. Why? Why do you have to be biting them and pushing them around? If they're goats that aren't having any respect for you, well, they might need a little bit of tune up. If they're cows, you know, calves that, that weans that want breaking in, they may have to be put back in the mob a few times and and um, and learn their lesson. So that's that's the best way I can answer. It's horses for courses. It's what you what you dealt with is the way you have to work as a stock. That just comes through working many different types of stock. In many different situations, the only way you can learn that really is exposure. Yeah, and has the type of dog um, you've got these days, or you look for these days, changed over the years at all from where you began? Yes, and no. Look, I I probably started with it. What attracted me to dogs was, as a kid, was a, a dog that could back and bark. I just thought that was just the Wow, look at this! Um, and, and and grew up in a bit of a shearing family as well. You know, dad was a shearer and and had been a shearer, and and um, <clears throat> I saw. It. So I suppose I've retained that all the time. The class and the has come with with uh, along the journey, but I've always always kept it selected for dogs that that um, that 
with dogs that actually had that can-do attitude, as I said there earlier. Um, I've, put, I've got more punch in my dogs now. Probably I'm working a lot more sale yard work than I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree. The lack of station work I get now does show on my dogs that I, I don't have a lot of, uh, you know, I can still muster a paddock. I can still go into a job, but yeah, it, it's not as frequent as what I would like. Um, so, yeah, it's changed a bit. I've had to get dogs that are a little bit more more heavy in in their work, um, lean towards the yard. Um, but that's that's basically, you know, that's my job. Um, look, I've always said without no disrespect to working dogs, they are tools of the trade to me yeah. as, a, as a stockman, a professional stockman. Um, so whatever I need to do that job, whether it is, a clean mustering dog, well, that's my 916 spanner. And if I've got to put them into the catch and bin, well, that's my shifter. You know, yeah. I, it's it's got to be what suits the job at the time. At this particular time, I'm I'm handling a lot of stock in a lot of the in confined environments, so I do need dogs that lean more towards the yard. So it has, I have drawn up a gear in that way, yeah. So with the increase in auctions over recent years, do you think it's a good thing for the value of a working dog moving forward? And obviously you are involved now with running the Wagga dog auction as well. Um, can you tell us a bit about that as well? Sure. Um, look, I wish I had come 15, 20 years ago when they had a big pack of them. Um, it's always been uh, a gripe of mine that dogs are, are the most undervalued. Again, no disrespect. I'm only trying to put things into perspective. Yeah, most undervalued piece of equipment on a property, which is they're not a piece of equipment. I know they're a living, breathing animal and they are of value to us. They are a mate, etc. like that. But I've got to put it in perspective. When you line up with to do a working dog school and you've got people there who've got a $600,000 head of sitting in their shed and won't give you two bob for a dog, but yet they've got a 5000 yeah. cheap uh, <laughs> operation. I'm saying to you, I don't think you've got your perspective right here. You know, you're going to use that dog pretty much a lot more than going to use that header. Yeah. Um, so they've always been undervalued, in my opinion. I think it's good that that we hit the heights they are. Where they're becoming the valuable item that they are. You couldn't buy my better dogs off me. It's, it just it wouldn't happen. It's, you know, I know how hard they are to get. Um, people, sure, we do have dogs that are surplus to requirements, or that you know people do enjoy getting them, going and selling them, etc. Um, I don't know too many bright people that sell their best dogs because, again, they, they are very hard to find. Um, so, yeah, it's great. It, it's really it's, – it's moved with the livestock industry and the fact that the stock are worth so much money now in, in cows, especially cattle and sheep. You know, it's all gone forward. So they've come into, into play. Um, the fault I see in it, it brings people into the industry who want to come in and make a dog. Yeah. And that's, that is a place that I – that I really don't, uh, don't doesn't sit very well for me, um, and I think that it opens the door up for people to say there's a chance to make a buck here, and that doesn't service the industry, the livestock industry, at all. I think if people want to put a genuine article up and um, and and be honest about it and put it on the market and they're rewarded, great. But if uh, if you come along and they are not put not putting the right article up and and they're getting big money for it. I think it's wrong, and um, so that is is a bit of a, a bit of a gap, uh, uh, something that that it may may lead to. But um, it's all pluses, you know. It's it's all plus for the livestock industry. Um, I hope it it, it really it, 
it really has brought the working dogs to the fore, the advertising we're getting out of it. And I know a lot of people have bought dogs through sales that they've got great results. And that's what the aim of the whole exercise is, is to give people an avenue to come and buy working dogs, spend good money and get a good dog. That's what we hope to achieve. And um, so, yes, in regards to our working dog auction, so we, we do conduct one here at Wagga. It's the longest running working dog auction in the country. It's been going from the time we started um, way back when I first came into, into working dog. I remember selling 10 or 12 dogs off the back of you and uh, <laughs> now I've evolved into um, the working dog auction that we, we run with Nutri and the company I work for now is taking that over this year. It's just gone beyond a, a working dog club, uh, the four, five, six uh, members that we have. When you start running into a three or $400,000 enterprise, you know, it, it really it's time to to um, perhaps got a little bit yeah for a club, um, yeah. but nothing will change in regards to that we're still the club is still heavily involved, and um, it'll just give us a bit more exposure, a bit more professional marketing, um, but the basic principle will still be the same. We we still want the right dogs to come there so people can come and buy with confidence. And one of the things we do here at Wagga is we demonstrate our dogs in three areas, so in in a yard on cattle and in a cast, in a big clean cast outside, and we give free areas of demonstrations so people can shop, hopefully, with confidence. And, and we're not setting dogs up to find the gaps in them. We're setting, we're giving people the opportunity to showcase their dog to the best of its ability and sell to the best yeah. of its value. That's its own merits, right? Sorry? On its own merits, right? So people can actually see what they're, what they're putting their hand up for, putting yeah, their big card up for. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right, that's right. We want to... Sure, it, 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 you can't give each vendor 10 minutes at a time because it's just not logistically possible, but we give them the three to five minutes of time um, and then, you know, at least they're seeing them on, you know, if they promote the dog for work cattle, well, here's your chance to work some cattle, you know. If you, if you say the dog's all round, he can cast, we'll go out and cast him and then come and lay that race for him. And, yeah. and, and they'll say he's an all-round dog, but if you can't do one of those things you say he does, he fails, well, the market will tell you that you fail. That's what we're yeah. actually achieve. Is to, is to show, I don't, again, I don't want to set anyone up to fail. I just want to, I want to actually give them the chance to achieve and put the right article up and sell for the right money. That's what we want to do, yeah. Joe Levins asked, how does the sale model maintain a high standard into the future? And he said, g'day, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> how does it, how does a sale model? Yeah, how, how does auctions model, like, maintain a high standard into the future? Oh, look, it's, it's, it's something that comes to me a lot. People say, you've got to screen these dogs. You've got to, you know, you've got to go have a look at them or videos, et cetera, like that. It's, the market will tell you whether the dog, exactly what I've just said before, the market will tell you. I think that the best leveller of a lot is people come, watch, see what other people are presenting, see how their dogs are trained, working, their abilities, and they'll soon realise, oh, I'm the odd one out here. Uh, I better go up a gear or I better get a better dog to be, you know, I'm going to look like a bit of an egg. And um, yeah. that's probably the best way to put it is that they've got to show up, put their dogs in in amongst the sale. They're different any other sale I've ever been to. If you want the top price, you put the heaviest lambs in there. If you want the top price cattle, you put the best cattle in there. You, you, the better job you do, the better article you supply, well, there, there's your money. So that's that, that's the, mo the model is is basically, that, that's what I think it is. It's, it's just... Um, by putting, putting, um, we're sure we need a variety of dogs in there. Uh, we can't all have them superstars because some people have got 500 yeah. to spend, some people have got 25,000 to spend. But Correct. still, 
still we still want dogs coming there to to be able to be presentable to be sold at market. So that's the model is is basically I, I think. And when is Wagga this year? Big button. When is Wagga this year? Thirteenth of uh, August will be the auction. Thirteenth of August, so we'll be sending out entries very shortly. So anyone who's uh, logged in there, you've, you've got a dog you want to put in that sale. That's, that's <laughs> be a good place. I, to I, don't like, I don't like all my ones at the moment, so I'll uh, I might hold on to mine at the moment. But you know, while we're, while we're talking there, mate, um, do you breed many pups? And before you um, do do a joining, what what are you looking at or considering before joining? I've probably only ever bred pups. I don't breed a lot anymore. I breed a few a few litters just to keep in the industry and supply a few genuine orders. Um, you know, people by saying genuine orders, they they ring me up and say, "Look, whenever you've got one, you know, give me a ring and I'll take it because I've got one off yeah. you before or I like what you had." So I've only ever really bred for my own purpose and and interest. Um, and then hopefully thought, well, if people like what I've got, well, that the market will absorb that. So what I'm trying to say, I've never bred pups to, to sell pups to make money out of it. It hasn't been what, what has attracted me to the industry or kept me in the going. Um, so, yeah, I still breed an odd, odd pup or two. Um, and, yeah, look, I just try and breed dogs for myself that suit myself. Um, yeah. In, yeah, I am a bit of a, a breeding nut. I do, I do like that part of it a lot. What, what do you be, What do you like the pedigree side, or trying to line something up, or? Yeah, I think I, I, I like. Well, once I got into into kelpie dogs, um, and that started to understand pedigrees, I, it started to unfold a little bit. I was trying to map it out to try and crack that infamous code, you know, to try and breed them a good one. <laughs> And and then yeah, it becomes becomes a bit of a, you know what what's going to suit what. Um, so yeah, I do I do like when I was going a lot stronger at it. Yeah, I do like to match bloodlines up for sure. I, I used to match bloodlines up, but probably the most important thing I've learned along my journey is you've got to breed type to type, and you can't jump away too far. You can't by me go and put. A dog from an extreme outside bloodline thinking you're going to get an ability into your line of dogs very quickly it doesn't work that way um i naively like probably every other person ever bred dogs thought well this one's a mad yard dog this one's a great paddock dog put them together i'm going to get this thing 50 50 down the middle they're going to be great. <laughs> welcome to the real world you get three nutcases and three you know three that that won't do nothing and one that's half in in the paddock um yeah. so i learned along the way that little nibbles um and so that then by matching pedigrees up and matching the style and the type of the dog up led led to some successes in breeds and and mapping it out so sure i've designed some matings that that came came through on a five-year plan i used to call it and you know you crack that code that was that was really enjoyable to me um and i i said it and i achieved it and and i was yeah i so yeah, I am a bit of a breeding nut. I I do um, I, they they do have to be a dog that I think enough of to breed to and from, and um, and then I've also got to recognise as a breeder whether it works or whether it doesn't. And um, if it doesn't work, well, 
bad guess if it does work. But like, um, you know, put Dart land in the right spot. Um, yeah, that's that's a bit of it. So on that note, Nick Hope has asked, "What significance to you is the um, is the dam lineage? Which bitches are your top picks, and uh, which ones?" Oh, which ones are your top picks and the ones you wish you could have owned or still own? Okay, I'll probably end up talking about my own dogs here again, but it's only <laughs> because I know them best. It's not, it's not bragging about it. That's just what I know. Um, sure, every industry will tell you that the that the bitch, the female, holds the potency, holds the holds the line. Um, sure, it, it it is in there. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I can't help but give the poor old dog a plug because you get a, a dog who breeds on and is potent in breeding, he'll leave a lot of good pups behind, a lot of good pups behind, out of very different types of bitches, out of a broad range of bitches. So, yes, the female will will put a, will, will keep your line strong, etc. but I think the dog himself in, is actually going to do it. Sure, he gets more of an opportunity if he... Um, the bitch will only have eight or nine pups, so you can have 55 or 155 in a year. So, but he's got to be a good side. The thing about about being a good dog is there's plenty of good dogs around, and there has been, but being a genetically good dog is harder. So, being yeah. the ability to breed on is the point I make. Um, I've had some what I thought were very good dogs who weren't genetically very good. Um, I've been lucky enough to have a few dogs that were genetically. They were good and did breed uh, on for me. So um, there's been talk around. People will say, look, she wasn't much good, but Juicy bred some good pups. Um, that dog, he, he didn't do a real lot, but Juicy left some good pups. He may, but I see that as a weak link in the line. I think that if the dogs, you know, they've got to be good all the way down the line, um, strong work ethic, strong ability, be trained, be able to handle the training, the pressure, and I'm willing to breed to that dog, and I'll know that he or she will give me my best shot of success. Anything that's got a gap in it, I, I say as a weak link that can come in three generations' time, I don't, I don't think we should be breeding to it. Oh, she would have been good, but she broke the leg, so I just breed out. Um, maybe she might have been good. Um, that, yeah, you'd probably give it away there, but then others, other scenario might be, I didn't have a lot of time to train her, but I just breed pups out. You know, it, it could have been better. Now, to answer the question uh, on the female line, um, of the bitches, it, it'll end up in in my line. When I first started, uh, Paul Spears, I used to travel around with him, had a, a dog called Patty. She was by Phil's Creek Sam Pat out of a Capri watch bitch named Minnie, Capri Minnie, and she was a beauty. She was a good type, drop-dead gorgeous, black and tan, big head, pricked ears, beautiful outside, win an open yard trial, and I thought, that's the sort of type of dog I want. I want. I was lucky enough to get a son, a son of hers, who um, I only had him to about eighteen months, two years, and he and he died on me um, through an unknown cause. Uh, did leave me one bitch pup I kept on, and that was a bitch I call I called Condo Pearl, and she probably bred me. Um, you could put a. Cat over and might get a good dog. She left them <laughs> behind. Um, she left them behind. Uh, yeah, Bounce was was a was a best son. 
Um, she she was her inner self. She was good. She was like a dog. You know, I mean, Billy Luff told me one day she, she works like a dog, Steve. You know, she, she, she barked like a, like a male dog, but yet she was feminine on the ground on, yeah. in a touch. Um, she, in, I think one time in the, up in the Monero, uh, she was in the open final. I think five were in the novice final and three of them were out of her by different dogs, you know? um, yeah? Capri Blue, Capri Boss or, or Basil, something like that, you know? Um So she was, she'd be the one I'd, I'd take back but get back every day of the week because she she really did breed and she was a she was an outstanding type and she was soft across the ground like a collie across the ground that you could bark like a dog and and um you could utility trial you could yard trial her and and yeah she'd be the one i'd i'd put back in the in the beach box straight away and she would be a granddaughter of that that, that very first one i spoke about um again i'm wrapping my own dogs up but i know i'm the best um, I bought pups. I've always bought pups from other people, and I've yeah. bought them out of pictures that I admired to be able to, sure, you know, breeding cells. You know, Christo, when Poppy was going good, I wanted a Poppy pup. You know, if yeah. um, somebody has a really good bitch, I wanted a pup out of that really good bitch. Um, they just don't come to me really quickly at the moment. I, I, I bought pups from Chris, from Larry Wallace, from Bill Luff. We don't buy too much between us, and we traded through the years, but but if there was a really nice bitch there, I, I wanted a pup out of that really nice bitch. Um, along the way, so I hope that answers his question. Do you find um, those pups you're looking out of those those different bitches? The bitches were similar, or were they all different for and what you wanted at that time in your stage of your life? Uh, out of out of that particular bitch we're talking about, or just pups no, 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 you're buying, out, like or the trading outside, outside yeah. dogs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, of those outside dogs, and I used to buy or trade into two or three a year, and I, I would think, you know, this would be when I had, you know, a pack of six or eight dogs I was trialling and probably had 25 dogs at home um, from old to young, uh, and I'd buy two or three pups. I've rarely kept many of them, and, and what I found was that, they just didn't. Some just didn't suit me. Like they didn't suit my temperament, or they just didn't have what what I was after. And I think that is the bottom line of why your own line evolves is that they suit you. Yeah. And and so for me to be able to say, you know, come and take Dan, come and buy this pup off me. I wish you luck. You may have to think a little bit of Steve Condell there sometimes. You know, <laughs> yeah. Mold them a bit, a little bit away to the way that you want them. So I remember a mate of mine saying to me one day, "How do I get good dogs? How do I get good dogs? Um, you know, I buy them off you, I buy them off him, I buy them off them. How do I get good dogs?" And, and you know, I said, you, "You've got to breed them for yourself to get good dogs because they they will suit you. You've got to breed them out of the dogs that work for you the way you want them to work. Establish your own line, and that is is pretty much what I learned out of it. That." Um, there wasn't many I kept. Coogee Ace was the last one I kept. Um, I, I'd, I'd had an order in there for a long time. I was a big fan of the of the Toss Dogs and and uh, Damper and that. I, I, Damper used to come to bounce and breed pups, and I was a big fan of them. And I waited a long time and got and got him. And um, and he was he was outstanding for me. You know, he's he was um, outstanding station dog. Absolutely. One of the best I've had. You could clean mustard paddock with him and pull him into bark any time and put him back to high any time. 
Um, he was clean, and um, you know he he was a very a very good dog, and he and he's left me four or five bitches here that are just good work ethic type dogs. Um, I got him when I was winding out of trialing um, at the time, and I don't know where we would have went. I, I suppose my circumstances changed and stuff. He won the he won the novice at the New South, the novice at the Australian, so he's probably on the path somewhere um, as a young dog, but. Uh, he was an outstanding station dog. He was probably the, the best of the ones I, I kept along the way. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 but I did buy pups because I wanted to experience those bloodlines and see what they had to offer, and I wanted to keep in with the with the moving market because you've got to do that. But most yeah. of the pups I ever carried on with of the new, what, what you would call the new size, whether it was Capri Boss or Larry's Boss when he was going or... Yeah. Um, if a minute was probably finished when I, when I started breeding, uh, I did do a mating to watch um, a pearl, one of the very, very first mates, watch was an old dog then. I took my own dogs up to them and bred them. And generally they were the ones I, I, I went on with because I suppose it was the line that I was establishing. Um, yeah, that's that's how I find it. And the advice you gave your mate there when you said, oh, if you need, you know, if you want a, a good dog, you've got to breed your own, would you... To further go with that advice, would you find, would you say, find someone that's doing the work that you're doing with the temperament and carries yourself like like you do yourself? Yeah, it's um, when I do a working dog school, and you know, I'll say to people, look, you've got to put some research into this. You can't just shake a tree and a pup's going to fall out. You think it's going to be good? You've got to you've got to go and search for the type of dog you like and. You can find it, and I put it out there as questions to them. And you, you tell me where do you find good dogs, you know? And then they'll say, "Oh, sale yards, or shearing shed, or dipping contractor, or contract master, or you know." But they won't find them up the tree. I know that much. Um, but you, you've got to, and and you'll go along, and you'll and you may be at the local trial, which is where we used to search for dogs, of course. But you'd see them. I know plenty of people who've said to me, "I was out, you know, up a crook the other day, and a bloke's got a dog, and he's something else." You know, he, he was penning up like proper big tough weathers and then he and two two got out, Sean Sheep got out and he teamed up this hillside and he just clean mustered that thing unbelievable. And he's a dog hiding in the bush doing his doing his stuff, you know, and that is a is the dog that tracks you to go you know, you see that and you go, Wow, that's the dog for me. Um yeah. so you've got to go around and see you've got to see we're all individuals, we're all different. You've got to see the type of dog you like. Then you've got to perhaps balance up the handler, and that's that's part of the process yeah. of, of looking at handled dogs is to say, well, what are we doing here? Yeah, how, how many faults has he fluffed over? How many abilities has he has he emphasised the dog to make him look a little bit better than what he is? Um, you know, you can't you can't sit in someone's pocket, go with them for work all day, but you can have a look at a dog, and if you're any sort of a judge, you'll soon know what what, what that dog's got to offer you. Um, so yeah, you've got to you've you've got to certainly match up, um, you know, the the handler and and the style of dog. You know, if he if he's if he's a hard handler and it's a hard dog and he's not holding him, I wouldn't be taking that dog off. But if he's a soft <laughs> handler and he's got a lot of power in his dogs and and he, and um, and he's got control, and you know, they're good biddable dogs. You'll hold them, or make your pick and go with it. Absolutely. On that note, Ryan Johnson's asked, if you were just starting out in the livestock or dog world today, um, where would be the one place you'd go to get a dog 
and the one person you'd approach to help you for training or guidance with that dog and future dogs? Uh, I would I would say pretty much the same old formula that I've had all the time, um, which I recommend to every person. If I do a working dog clinic, this is this is my formula: is um, shop around. Um, the alarm bells are ringing out there. The more dogs they've got, the, the less interested I am in what they've got. Um, I want to I want to shop for a dog uh, on a place, a property, or an enterprise where those dogs are earning their keep. If he's got five, six, eight, ten dogs, if he's a breeder, sure, he's going to have 15 or 20. But if you've got five good, honest working dogs and he's on a 4,000 sheep property or a 600 cow property and they're going to work and he's got and they're earning their keep every day of the week, sure, he can take them trial and they've got the ability to trial as well. Um, if there's a style or type of dog I want, I'm on for that. Um, if you want, if it, it all boils down to the type of dog that they're after. So, You've got to know the type of pup you're after first and foremost. If you want a schizo, you know, knock yourself out, pen an up dog, or go, you know, go under a shearing shed or a, or a contractor or a dipping contract, something like that, and, and select for that type. If you want clean paddock dogs, go to the hills and see them, you know, muster. Or um, if you want uh, the type of dog I just described, you know, from a from a, a bloke who's earning, you know, running a property or working on, a, on an enterprise where those dogs are earning their keep but yet they're class station dogs they can still go and compete and trial and that's the type of dog you, you've got to look around and just see um word of mouth is as good is a good um as well if you talk with the right people you know by saying look you know, and I know i've had people i've sold dogs to people they ring you up and say look i'm looking for this type of dog and i, I ask as many questions of them as they ask of me what do you do you know what, what the enterprise are you what sort of dog are you after and they might say yeah, I say, well, this is the mate I designed for you, with knowing with my experience or knowledge. Hopefully, got some, and then I design that for you. Hopefully, it it, it works. You know, it's not a guarantee because I, I just think it's such a big grey area, so hard. But you do the best you can as a breeder. My job as a breeder is to try and sell you a pup that's going to suit you. So, to answer the question of selection of a puppy, go to the type you like to suit the purpose you're after. Um, and it involves everything from whether you want a male, female, colour, everything that you want, the, the skills that you're after, the bloodline you're after, everything you've got, it's got to line up for you to take that pup on. It's not just a pup. It's it's like buying a car. You've got to research and and, and buy what you're happy to buy. Um, and then to to get your dog started, look, there's, there's plenty of you know, good handlers out there. They don't have a lot of time to take people on and train them individually. Working dog school. That's that's the best thing. So I go go to a good quality working dog school, and um, and then take some notes and go home and put it into practice and and um, and and go back to another school as you evolve. If you're still learning, um, you know, you may get to know a trainer or or a um, a breeder, and he may be able to help you along the way. But working dog schools have totally changed this industry. They've really taken it from from people who just used to turn up. With a good dog from out off a station or probably somewhere we've, we've got people now who've got really good knowledge on on training dogs in there and that most of them, everybody got it from schools i got it from schools how else do you learn when you yeah, when you first come in there's knowledge out there um you can't badger a bloke every night on the phone just got to um yeah you can't until you stop answering yeah that's it yeah um, <laughs> You've got working dog schools, um, and that's the that's the beginning. 
the the rest you only get out of what you put into it. The rest is your job, your journey, and um, you shortchange it. Don't put much effort into it. Well, you're not going to have much yeah. uh, return in the job. But if you uh, give it the best chance you can, well, you've got every opportunity. But on the other side of that coin, too, don't overdo it. Which um, <laughs> I couldn't really touch on that when you said about some of the problems in the industry. There might be a little bit of but you have to copy, a bit overdone too at times. So. Um, Know what you're looking for. Go to, to, to a reputable breeder, producer, working dogs, uh, make your selection, buy with confidence and get to a school and train it right and you'll get it right. Awesome. That's my so we're, <laughs> we were talking about bitches before and Chris Egan asked, if you really like a bitch to pick a pup hoping to be most like her, would you prefer a female or a male pup out of her or do you think that comes into it at all? Oh, if I was if I was wanting the genetics from the female, I would be looking for the for the um, I'd be looking for a female. Um, I'm a bit of a dog man, really. I've always I've, you know I've had some good bitches, but I do like dogs. I like the I just like the go of them. I like the power of them. I like the presence of them. Um, <clears throat> hence, when I go back to talk about Pearl, she was like a dog in a way. Um, that's what kept her in the in the groove. I don't like them overly soft. Um, Oh, I would be I, if I wanted that bloodline and I wanted to put it in my breeding operation. Uh, probably if I was chasing bitch, um, be very hard to to um, know whether the puppy is completely like the female, the mother. It would type would give it away. Um, it's, I wouldn't go away from anything from my normal selection process. Really, if I had a chance to be selective, there's a there's the other side. Sometimes you get to light up what you can get. But if you've got a chance to be selective, well, I would, I would use my selection criteria to, to go that way. And what is that? It's, it's pretty high tech. It's, uh, <laughs> Here we go. Is it a handshake? It's, like, it, it's like the KFC recipe, this one. <laughs> a little bit of spices. Here we go. Yeah, it is. It's, it's no more than pick the one you like. Basically, yeah. that's exactly what it is. It's what yeah. attracts me to that pup. Um, and I say this again, you know, if you like them hiding in the back of the kennel, will you take that pup? I won't be. Yeah. If you like them climbing the gate to get out to you, you take that pup. I might if, he, if I like him a lot, but there's something that attracts me to, to that pup. And and uh, if I like his – I do like good types, and uh, so a type will come into it. And, uh, and then his personality or how he um, conducts himself will be the other side, he or she in it, and that's um, – that's basically okay. I can't say any more than that. You know, I certainly, <laughs> if you get a pick and you, and you take one you don't like, I don't think that's <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> some pick you. It's strange, isn't it? Some pick you. Like, they'll, yeah, you, you just can't stop looking at a particular pup or he's just, yeah. just there. It's, um, yeah, that's, and some people have got an act for it, really. Have like, have some, some people get it right quite often. Um, so I think by knowing what you're after makes a huge difference. Definitely. Absolutely. And, mate, we've, you've mentioned some pretty uh, renowned size there tonight. Mate, do you have an opinion on AI versus live coverage of what's around today or at the time when you need a dog? Uh, I've had a bit of experience in that AI field because we, to Pearl, bred a, a, a a pup, a pup was adjoining to Zondo. Yeah. Yep. He was dead 
25 years, I think, when we bred um, Mary is, um, gave me the opportunity. Uh, she saw her work and she approached me and said, look, you know, would you would you consider doing this, mate? And I thought, well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> Here we go. Um, we're winding back the clock, you know. She's a one of a kind. Uh, so we bred her and we got one pup. Cost us $1,000 and we called her green. And uh, Mary, shared, Mary and I shared ownership of her and uh, she was a tough nut. She was one of the hardest I broke in. Um, but I ran 100 out of 100 with her in a trial. The only one I ever did under Jeff McDougall were judging, and so she was um, she was something else. Uh, yeah. But she didn't really oh, – she bred on for Mary. She, she Maximus was a sire son of hers. Um, didn't yeah. really click for me. Um, that's my experience with it. I grabbed with both hands, absolutely. I, I think um, some of those dogs that I came along with um, – Dupree boss, the very first one, by Larry's boss, superstar. You know, I, I had pups by him and I loved every one of them. I thought they were fantastic. They were, they were free, zippy, get, easy dogs to get on with, but that, that was showy. Um, if you had a chance to breed a minute, I'm sure you would because you'd, you'd like to pick up some strength in there and put in your, in your bitch line. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think the older line of dogs, if you had the opportunity to – Put some of that back into your modern day dogs today, if you want to call them that, because of course we, we came away from that. The one, probably the one that you would breed if you had the chance on an AI mating would be Hills Creek Sam Pat. And he just left, he left a legacy of dogs endless. I had one myself and um, he serviced me very well. Um, so I think it's got its place to play for sure. I think that a lot of those old dogs, I think the, the thing we saw in the old dogs was so many of those old dogs. Did a lot more work than dogs are doing today. They were on on properties, and they were they were family men who were raising families on properties with great work dogs on, on a lot bigger properties that away from this modern day era where they're going to muster with drones before long, you know, yeah. etc. They were riding horses. They were mustering on horseback. The dogs were doing the work. The work ethic was in them, and the ability was in them, and they kept the best and bred to the best. Um, and I think that, that if we can wind the clock back on some of those good old dogs, uh, I think it'd, it'd, um, if we had to work for them, um, it'd be fantastic. So I think it'd make a huge – and I know a few blokes have got a few of the dogs I've mentioned um, that they've kept semen to. And, you know, I think that, you know, I'd, I'd go back to, back to them tomorrow, good experience with them. So to answer your question, yeah, I, I wish I had a tank full of some of them. Yeah, <laughs> um, if I had the right female to breed too as well, you know, you'd, you'd want to Absolutely. have the right female to breed too as well. You wouldn't want to be um, be wasting it. But hope that answers this question. I reckon they, it's uh, the the old. I might be wind the clock back a little bit, but I'm not that old. But <laughs> I think uh, they they certainly there was something else. Some of those dogs. A uh, question here from Rick Freeman: When training your dogs, how do you pace them? Uh, length of sessions and how much do you man, demand of them at various ages? What is the most important basics um, you teach your pups? Uh, well, it, it's you don't want to be in a rush. That's one thing you don't want to be in. A, a session for a puppy should be three to five minutes of constructive training 
um, it doesn't have a very very long concentration span. I I level myself out if you want to. It's a bit like raising kids. Um, you know, there's there's time the time frames. You know, a puppy three five six months old. You're dealing with a toddler. You know, how you can't reason with them. You can only you can you can let them show them how you want them to be, um, how they, you want them to to be in your camp, etc. In through manners, etc. And you can you can get them started along the way, and then as they mature, you can step up the training. So two or three times a week, um, little puppies just to wind back for start. Little puppies have got to be puppies. They've got to grow on a dog. So they're going to be a dog for 11, 12 years. They're going to be a pup for twelve months. So let them yeah. let's let them enjoy the first twelve months. Um, so let them let them be a pup. Uh, you know, don't overtrain them. Don't have them. You know, I, I do schools and see people. They've got a six month old pup and it can stand its head in the corner. I just go, whoa, too much. You know, uh, um, let them be pups. Let them grow, mature mentally. Um, don't overdo it with them. Little nibbles, little nibbles, but get it right all the way along. If you want the pup to come to you when you ask him to, he's got to come to you when you ask him to. If you want the pup to be quiet in his pen, he's got to be quiet in his pen. If you want him, whatever you ask him to do within his capabilities of his age, etc., well, you, you've got to set those boundaries. And once he adheres to those boundaries, you can grow together. Three months of age, I'll start the puppy. I'll, I'll put him on stock and I'll just let him, and I'll, I'll just have quiet sheep, nothing that'll hurt him. And I'll just see what he's got, got to offer me. And show me, and I encourage him to work. And then, as he works, it shows his desire to work. I build on that. Um, and then, from five to six months of age, I'll give them a little bit of a look in the race and a few tight spots just to see what they've got to offer there. Um, I really don't put a lot of handle on them until they're 10, 11, 12 months old. You're dealing with a seven year old child, then they can deal with reason, they can understand the rights and wrongs in the world. They can take not discipline, but they can take direction. And you can then start to to use that pup to um, – you can start training him and use him in a light-hearted work sense, step it along a little bit at 18 months to two years of age where you've got a teenager and uh, he can go out and be useful to you and he knows how the world works. And um, yeah. three years of age, you've got a 21-year-old. They should know pretty much what's going on. Get a hand dirty, proper. Should be in your prime. So little nibbles, uh, try and get it right. Know what you're going into train for. Know what you're going to achieve. Don't be going there empty-headed saying, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do here, but I'll do something. Sit what you have. Oh, today I want to teach my puppy, ask him to sit three times, walk behind me at the heel and a bit of dry work. Um, if you go into the pen with him, I want him to circle to the left, circle to the right, and I want to get a block on him, stop him, and I want to leave the pen. There. Know what you're going to achieve and you don't overdo it. If you keep chasing it, you keep asking for more, all of a sudden you'll be pushing into the pup. Uh, above his abilities, and you'll find he'll be sitting out of the corner with a little lost look in his face going, oh, I don't enjoy this very much anymore. So you've got to read the play a little bit on. Um, you've, got to be, uh, you've got to be patient. You'll be patient in the first 12 months and you'll be re rewarded for the next 10 years. You'll be impatient in the first 12 months and you've got to wear it for the next 10 years. Um, yeah. Give the dog time uh, to grow and mature and um, recognise what his uh, qualities are, recognise what his faults are, work with them. And you, if you give him the right opportunity, he's got the right ability. He should come out with a um, with a pretty decent dog. Uh, most times, where it goes wrong, it's not dog error; it's human error. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, a lot of times, a lot of times, it, it is uh, it's human error. It's lack of 
or um, yeah. too much. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Egan's asked, if you have a young dog that is going to back and wants to back hard and has the breeding to do it, but you can see it will just need the right type of encouragement to get going, how would you go about bringing the best backing ability out in the start? Well, backing ability is, is it's confidence. It's just confidence. Some pups have got it. They've just got it from the get-go. You can put a pup, a wee pup on, on the ground. They want to climb up and sheep and get over them. Yeah, it's just it's in their nature. They're forward going. They're the, they're the same pup that's going to climb the gate and get out of the pen. Um, they, they're just they're, they're that uncontrollable kid, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. So some have just got it. Some haven't got it. The ones that haven't got it, you're pushing boundaries trying to get it. Um, so if I'm if I'm working with somebody with their dog, um, and I know that you can sense the dog hasn't got the ability to back in, in regards to that he's not comfortable there and he hasn't got the, um, the personality for it or the confidence for it, you're doing the dog an injustice, putting him in that situation. He's scared. It's like a child who's scared of deep water. Why would you persist with it? You know, you're just not going not gonna to win with it. But then you get, you know, the, the other one, you can encourage it. So to answer his question in a way, that the way I teach a pup or ask a pup to to um, hop up on sheep or to back sheep is I, I actually get his energy levels up and trick him, don't trick him into it, but I, but I get him excited and most what I know about kids and dogs, you get them excited and they start doing things they didn't know they could do. So <laughs> I, I tend to put them, set the situation up in all training, I always set the situ, situation up to achieve. I don't want, I don't want sheep that are, um, we want, you know, light wool sheep, you don't want any heads facing them. Um, you know, he's got obviously he's going to jump off on the tail end of a sheep. You don't want a, a big old head stand there that's going to going to um, be confrontational to him. So I set it up uh, moderately firm pen, uh, and I will tie the pup back on a on a long lead to the back gate, and I'll encourage him to bark, and I'll get him so that he's he's just losing it with wanting to get to these sheep, and I get real busy, and I get further away from him. And, once he starts reaching his claws out, his, his front paws out, and he's reaching and he's reaching on the on the on the strength of that lead, and then all of a sudden I let him enough, and all of a sudden he's got front feet up on the back of the sheep, and he's almost there. You know, he doesn't even know how he got there. Um, it's just through adrenaline and, and energy, and 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 um, and then after a bit, you can still keep him lightly restrained, and then you just let a little bit more cord go out, and all of a sudden he's climbing up on sheep, and he's still getting him activated with a bit of bark, and he's all of a sudden he's up on sheep, and he goes. I don't know now I got there, but this yeah. is great. Um, but he doesn't care anymore, right? No, he doesn't because it, because there's it, it, all the energy and activity is overridden the situation of of you know what are we going to do? So you get him up there and and then uh, and then I get him down safely. You know I don't, I don't let him get out. I don't need sides. I get him. So you've got to protect that pup in that early stages to to protect his confidence. You get him hurt out there, up there early. Um, you know, it could it could take a long time to recover. You've got to get his confidence up, and then you, some pups don't need it. Some just they got just naturals at it. You, you've got to you've got to teach them not to that. Um, yeah. Believe it or not, but you, you know we do teach them you know not to do things that we desire them to do. That's called training. Um, but you you get that confidence up, and then you help him out by finding a way to get down properly through sheep and protecting himself. And so I take out just a little light cord. And, and just lead him back over and, and protect him and teach him how to hop down, pull a head back and get him to pop down there and get down the back of the sheep. 
get his confidence up and and um, yeah, make it make it a bit of fun for him. Get his energy levels up, and uh, if he's if he wants to go on with it, he'll keep delivering. You know, the the one that doesn't want to be there can't cope with it. So, is most of your is most of your training done on the job, or do you set time apart? If I'm doing work, no school, I'll tell you, no, you need to train the pup first, <laughs> and, uh, and then and then take him to work. But once you get a few kilometres on the clock, you learn a few tricks, and uh, and yeah, I I look, I take him to the training pen. I put a bit of I put a foundation on them, and I um, I give them exposure to all the situations that they're going to face in the work environment. That is a tight pen of sheep sheep in general in in yard situation um exposure to noise uh, um exposure to sheep going through and coming back out of a gate because as you know you want to run through them and go to the in, in, you know i'm not ready for that but give them a, a few little basic um uh, experiences um a little bit of you know stuff at the back of the race to see if he's got well, again i've got to see what he's got to offer me to know that the dog's actually going to deliver the work i'm after um, and, and then I will take him to work and I'll cut corners and I'll get him trained up. But if it's you, my <laughs> client at a work dog school, I'm saying to you, get, get, his, get him pretty competent in most fields. Um, you've got to make work for them, just set situations up at home and get him, get him competent with it and then start to train in the workplace. The reason I won't say to you, go and train in the workplace is because this is what happens I've got my pup and I'm doing the job and, and um, oh, hell, you know, 10 minutes and the stock age is going to be or this truck's going to be here and you lose your mojo and all of a sudden you're in a big rush and, you, and you're in there, you know, flustered and the dog's seen the person he doesn't, he doesn't see before and he gets all spooked yeah. and I've got time to catch that pup here and all this happens and it all goes wrong. So um, with experience, you can, you can read all that. Um, you you can sort of cut corners a little bit with your puppy. Um, to, to go back a little bit in all the stuff I do, I won't take. I, I like to expose my puppies to every situation that they're going to face, so I know that that pup's going to deliver or make, make a dog out of it. So I, I'm, I'm assessing him right from the start. If I take him in there and give him a little bit of what you wish at home, and, and say, "Well, this pup's not going to be me. He, just, he, he hasn't got the bark. He hasn't got the desire. He doesn't. He's not comfortable." Um, I don't go any further with him um, and use him in their work situation. Um, you know, I have the dog to work or to train on that that is going to suit me, and and I think it's going to deliver because I'm I'm pretty much two way street. You know, you put in, I'm happy to put in. Um, I'll train you if you if you give me enough, show me enough that you'll you'll deliver on the training. That's fine. Um, so yeah, I do. I do train them on the job, but it's part of the for twenty-five years under your belt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Experience to get with you it. Get away with it. You can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy Lim has asked. You were talking before about dogs that can can and can't breed on. Um, are there any current dogs that breed on equal or better to their own ability that spring to mind? And do you think this is because they are closely bred in their pedigree? Or is it just luck that a sire is able to breed on well or not? I'm probably a little bit removed from. I'll, I still keep in touch with the with the dog 
current breeding because I, I still try and get one or two pups a year um, <clears throat> just from hearsay you know, people that, you know, I haven't tried for 10 or a dozen you know, years. I, I go to the Wagga trial here we've just had and I, I talk to people in the industry. So to know what all the dogs are doing, it's probably a question I can't really qualify myself yeah. on. But I'll wind the clock back to, to, um, to what uh, I thought um, about, about dogs um, breeding on um, and matching up pedigrees. I think the pedigree, the balance in a pedigree, you put too much of one line, one side in there, you can, you can get yourself a bit too heavy one way. An even balance of them. Um, they'll say that line breeding, you know, if, if it works, it's, you know, it's line breeding. If it doesn't, it's inbreeding. But I think you've got to put. Um, yeah, I, I, in the beginning of of the dogs uh, when I first got involved, the Horton line, which is Phil's Creek Sam, and the Mac line, and they crossed over very, very well. We get in the horse industry. There's horses that breed together very, very well. Um, you recognise that as a breeder, and, and you'll you'll get a result. Um, so I recognised that in the early stages, and I used to complement. I used to breed my pictures, try to keep an even balance of, of that. Um, in Pearl's pedigree, she was evenly balanced. Um, Bounce probably had a double double splash of Horton blood in there a few generations back, um, and that probably is probably what gave him a little bit um, more free flowing work you want to strengthen them up or like you go back in along the mac line and strengthen up a little bit um a bit tighter as well so um current day size i i i think that some very good dogs out there but i can't go i only know the dogs i know and and yeah. um that's fair enough think, you know toss and the boss line and the minute and the max and the all those the pack you know you couldn't go past those types of dogs um you still had to have the right female to go to them, um, I believe, to, to get a result. And and that goes back to what I said earlier in that interview, the fact that if you try and step too far away from what you've got, it, you might be going too far and it just puts a little bit of a genetic um, gap in there that might take a little bit of, you know, once, once you're out, if you want to call it out, Cross, if you go to a, to, to a, a, a bloodline away from your... Your dog, if he's a potent sire and he, he's genetically strong and breed on, you'll get a result. Sometimes it just won't click with your your bitch basis. Yeah, it's absolutely. a series of radio. I breed a horse, you know, you put a you put a horse to a horse and you get a horse. You put yeah. a dog to a bitch, you get ten of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's it's but that's the attraction to it. You know, can you can you do it? Um, you know, can you can you breed that and um. And then you've got to recognise they're all, not all going to be good. Yeah, um, that's Yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier yard trialling, mate. How long have you been trialling? Oh, long, haven't I been trialling? Might be more the question. No, I, I, try, I started when I was in my early 20s. Um, uh, I did probably 20, 25 years of it. Um, 20, probably gave a good nudge for 20 years anyway of trialling. Um, we were probably some of the younger brigade. Um, it's a few of my old mates out there. Not much older than me, but I can call them older because they are. <laughs> if a few of them watched in, um, they're still very good friends of mine. But we were probably some of the younger brigade. So I was probably in my early twenties um, when I started 
competing uh, by mid twenties. I was in I was in the horse industry before. I, I got it. Dogs were always part of me. I was, but then I had a young family, and and uh, the, and the dog enterprise suited me um, to be able to to travel to shows, etc. Um, so I did, yeah, good a good uh, twenty years of it, I guess. Um, along that way, um, I I really just came to wound down in the trolling in, as much as I enjoyed it, etc. It just became a change in life and change of circumstances and time restraints, etc. And you know, I can say all that now. Now I do more in the horse industry than I do in the dog industry. So go see Yeah, that was um, it. Was it, I wouldn't swap that for anything. That, that that put the basis of everything I've got today. All that experience uh, of of trialing and competing. I learned how to work dogs. I learned how to breed dogs. Uh, I, I learned I learned so much in the context. I made they've serviced me in my business today. You know, though I've got clients who established through dog trialing, or, or people knew who I was from there. Uh, it was a wonderful time, um, and we yeah. got, got really good dogs out of it. Uh, and, and the beauty of it was that the ninety nine percent of the dogs we were working with or against were all dogs earn a living slugging in day in day out had big weeks the dogs would turn up their foot sore and covered in mud you know and yeah. complete you know um it was a it was a, a really good year um i i think that yeah go back to what i said i don't go to a lot of trials as much anymore but the better dogs i do see are, are, is still the same formula the the, the dogs yeah. that are on properties um on properties and working hard for a living they tend to be able to handle the tough sheep and the tough situation. What I want to make too tough, you don't want to make anything unachievable. It is competition. You want to get achievable. But I do see those dogs that have got life skills does show up in 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 the show format, and it's always been that way that I found. Yeah. Do you believe that trials um, stimulate that real work or not? No, real work stimulates real work. Trials stimulate. Men to go out and showcase their dogs and show off what they've got, and yeah. um, and and say, you know, look, I've got, you know, it's always how camp drafting started, how rodeo started. Yeah. I'm sitting on a bar stool, I got a better dog than you got. So let's and, and we do it through competition. Uh, yeah. It certainly opened the eyes to the world, if you want to call it the world, of how good dogs can be, and yeah. it certainly it sparked a lot of interest. You know, where people would come and talk to you and say. You know how do I get into this, or how can I, and that's where schools evolved from. That it showcased our dogs where it took the BS out of it. Where folks would say, "I oh, got a bloody," we still get it today. But oh, I got a dog, and I have to do that. Bring him and show me, mate. You, know? you turn up yeah. and show me. Yeah, but they won't. But we did. We do. They turn up yeah. and they show you. They put them on a format, um, mate. I've worked dogs at the Canberra Royal Show under the cha-cha going, you know, the hurricane going, and, and the whoosh yeah. and the fireworks to go on mid strength and. And you know, I, I won a trial one time because because I our mates out in the final and they're doing the whip crack and the slow over. His dog nicks off because it's not broken into the whip, and, yeah. and he's out. And I go in there and I work my dog, and they can still crack the whip because my dogs work to whip. And yeah. you know, it's it's the life skills um, that you bring to the table to show off. Um, but that was the place we showed them off, and we and people still get it today. Um, some use it for marketing, some use it for pleasure. Um, some use it for stimulation of, of competition, um, 
some people just enjoy it and um and that's it's a great it's a great format um and you not only do you get good dogs out of it and see what is around and say well this dog's better than mine or i want to chase that bloodline or a good young dog coming on here but you meet some really good people in it too like lifetime friends Absolutely. friends as well you know you really make some great friends out of it of like-minded people um yeah so it's uh, probably going probably going a bit in depth to answer your question, but I think it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's I think it's done wonders for, for working dogs. I, I really do. Um, constructively run working dog trials. It's just it's brought the dogs to where they are today. It's it's brought our dogs into the twenty five thirty thousand dollar era of, of value. Yeah. It's it's let people see how good our their dogs can be, and they've seen yeah. it at the local show, and they've seen it on TV, and they've seen it. And the hunger for training dogs out there is massive. It really is. You know, I know just from my experiences that that um, you know, everybody wants to know how to get a good dog going. They they all do. And and people talk to me. I I didn't get to see the TV show. I don't get to see TV just as long as I've sat in front of a screen for I don't know what it is. But but um, but you know, people say, "Oh, well, what do you like? Watch that dog show. It was great." You know, because they. They, they enjoy it. It's it's what they think. Yeah. You know, they, sure. you know, they just they don't think they, they can do it. But you can all everyone can do it. It's not hard. It's not it's not not rocket science. But I do say you do have to have work for your dogs. They they they're not a show dog. They're a work dog, and they've got to have work. Then we can show them. That's the bottom line for me. That's right. And you mentioned camera, mate. Do you have a um, favourite trial to participate in, or one you would like to participate in? Um. My of all my travels, yeah, which included two trips to New Zealand, um, that was that was pretty that was pretty up there. Um, competing in a different format um, in Hunaway Territory, um, it would be the Algeti Show up on the Monero. Yeah, would be my favourite trial to go to um, in the heartland of of sheep producing country. What else do you do up there? You grow wool. And your fat and stock with the seasonal allows. Um, yeah. It's not crop area. They make their money out of livestock. They have very good livestock and um, and a lot of good dogs, a lot of good stock. And the handlers up there to be the last frontier in a way that, that, the, um, that they still have to go out and muster. They be granity hills with, with good cast and muster and dogs. So you'd line up there at Dalgetty Show and um, wouldn't be a huge crowd, but. They were huge sheep, big weathers, yeah. big strong weathers, yeah. and uh, and they were like working bullets. And you knew you 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 won that tri- you won that trial. You knew that you won that trial. And um, Albertsi won three years in a row, and and oh, it's been done since. Yeah, so I I think that's why it, I put that trial on the map is the fact that that it was always you know, listed as one of the as a you know the sheep would show your dog up and. Um, you know, if you went three times in a row with that dog, it was all dog, don't worry about that. It wasn't too much my involvement. Um, <laughs> he, uh, it certainly showed me that he had the right the right um, ability to handle handle those sheep. So um, that that's the one I put on the map, and, and we had a lot of great times up there too. We used to go up and camp, and, and um, yeah, anyway, it's a different yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> was there anyone... Um... That inspired you when you were starting out. Well, my inspiration, the first and foremost inspiration was my dad. You know, he's he, yeah. he was the one that 
that um, like all kids should do is look up to and hope my kids do. I know they do, but um, he uh, he was a he was a, was a stockman through and through, and um, and he and he always had dogs, you know, and and he always had horses, and so he was my inspiration. Um, unfortunately for my dad, he spent his whole life on the same property, and um, he never got to experience the life skills that I oh, sorry opportunities that I did. You know, pack yourself up at seventeen and, and go and work. Well, before that, you know, I was I was working on a local property to Wagga under a very good stockman who's still, you know, like a second family to me. Um, showed me some stuff with dogs that um, set me on my path. Um, when I went away, Jackarooing, Cubby Station, Dirrabandi, it's all underwater now. It's all irrigation, but there was just to be six thousand cows there, and um, we used to bust every day on a horseback and head stockman there. Um, he's not with us anymore, but he was. Um, he was hard, but he was a hell of a stockman. Um, he he showed me stuff about dogs that, um, that you know he didn't show me. I watched and learned. He wouldn't tell you too much, but I watched and learned, and I aspired to be. Um, that he's taught me so much about stockmanship in general. I think you got to learn stockmanship before you can learn um, anything else about dogs. Because if you don't know what you're trying to achieve, how to go about it. How can you use the extension to steer to, to achieve it? Um, so stockmanship is what I learnt, and dogs came along on, on that journey. Uh, when I came into competition, um, if anybody says asked me today, how do you learn how to dog trial? I'd say for any sport that you want to, in my fields, whether it's camp drafting, radio, or, or dog trialing, which is what we're talking about, is watch a person you admire and or, or the way they do it or a winner, if you agree with the way they win, you do what yeah. they do. When in Rome, yeah. do what Romans do, and you, if he's winning, you can come up with the right article. Um, yeah. I was never a big fan of the of the slow going um, style of type. Didn't didn't um, didn't really do it for me. They were nice runs. They they could be faultless and wouldn't earn a lot of points. I liked them a little bit more forward going, a little bit more. Um, Proactive, I guess you could say. And so to answer your question, a long-winded way, I think Michael Johnson was a bloke I really watched a lot. Um, yeah. Came to that year, I think Basel won 25 open trials in one season, you know, and he could, you know, he, he, he just opened the gate and say, let's get it on, you know, put him in. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he would, um, but he could screw him down and, he could, and, you know, or he didn't have to screw him down. The dog had enough, you know, knowledge to, to know how to work his stock. But um, he, he never used to take take a backward step off them, um, you know, he'd turn it on. If they need to turn it on, if they weren't going to go in, he say, well, we better put them in. And yeah. and I like I like that attacking sort of way, and I probably developed in my own style, that, uh, to, to, attacking is the wrong word, but I want to use it. Because really it's almost... You go for, you, you've got to get on the front foot and say, mm. well, you know, I'll show you where we're going to go. And, and, um, and yeah, that's that was... But that's not by putting joggers on and jumping fences and running around the course. That's by being yeah. proactive and, proactive, you know, it's, yeah, yeah not nursemaid and sheep around, you know, be, try being on top of the job. And, and um, most times it works. You know, sometimes you, you, know, you nod them up and get in the corner and get a bit frustrated because I probably went about that the wrong way. But I think um, that was, I, I watched um, Jimmy Luce again, and, you know, Jimmy Luce was a master. Um, he was a craftsman with working dog in a yard. He could, you know, we might have done very good with five, but he turned come out number six, and he just bailed them around. Now, um, so yeah, you know, Jimmy was a, was a 
was a craftsman on the trial course. He was very smart. And uh, he, he, he could have watched Jimmy work and he'd say, yeah, here's little tricks there I picked up from you. Thank you. <laughs> um, if you're astute enough, um, they, they would be, yeah, they were, um, they were at their, at their peak when, when I came into trialling, you know, they were, they were the ones that you, you, you aspire to be. But there was eight or ten people like that, you know, Chris Stableton, um, Kevin Howe, um, all those, uh, those names of trialers that you, you looked upon and you thought to yourself, how the hell am I ever going to get in amongst these guys, you know? Yeah. You, could, you, you knew if eight or ten of them was, were there, that was, the, that was the final field. You might as well, you know, put your, put your dog in the ute and head home. <laughs> um, you know, you, you you chip away and chip away, and they there was a lot of those blokes that you know had had um, had a, yeah, I, I would have I would aspire to in, in one shape or form. You know, I learned something from everybody um, for, through conversation, but it was more through watching their actions, um, how they work their dogs, how they position themselves, um, when they call their dog into play, when they left their dog out of play, um, just. Just, they're not tricks. It's it's just stockmanship. Um, yeah. I, I started when I was seventeen, learning stockmanship, and I'm still learning to this day. Um, I guess we all are, but um, that was it was it was just a few things that that, that separated those guys from the others. That their dogs, how they handled their dogs, is when they caught you know, the, the skills they had in them, and when they used those skills. That was the probably the, the biggest thing to learn um, yeah. along the way. You know, it's, you've got to have that the, the tools in your dog to be able to achieve what you're after, you get it at the right time and you will get a result. So that is whether it's top knotting, whether it's whether it's shaping them up and a bit and a bit of you know, just just a bit of right bark at the right time. Um, whether it's distance, whether it's close, whether it's strength, whatever it is, um, you've got to know how to use all those things. Um, you know, Jimmy Luce said to me one day, you know, you, you need a bit of variety in your pack because you, your dogs won't suit that particular sheep on any given day. And he's right, you know, he's, he, he might have the powerhouse dog, but those sheep don't need the power today. If you want to have a real cruisy little dog that's, you know, that you can, they'll suit the sheep and Jimmy would win the trial again because he'd have, yeah. yeah, that he could still get the bark and still get the strength and up and still get to not top knot and do what he wanted to do. But one in the pack would suit those sheep better on the day. So, yeah, there's a few big names there if you want to wind the clock back in trialing, but um, they certainly, you know, they, they probably would have all had some influence. And do you have a message that you'd like to get out into the working dog or livestock industry at all? Oh, I, I would like, I don't think I'm going to fix anything if it needs fixing. Um, I, I'd like a lot more young fellas to to, to shape, take an interest in, in um, stockmanship and working dogs. Um, I, I I'd like to. There's an odd young fellow that comes along that you see um, he's born to it. Um, I, I'd like to like to see them to put a little bit more emphasis in it. I'd I'd like to see in the livestock industry uh, more training in stockmanship. Um, you know, I've in like I'm, you know, I've come into the agency business in my mid 40s, you know, and and I've had to go and do. You know, auctioneering courses and that auctions plus course with kids that are seven and eight and nine years old, you know, and and um, they say, "What are you doing here, old fella?" You know, I've had to, <laughs> I've had to, I've had to do these courses and 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 um, you get 
trying. Sure, that's part of the process. But all the way along the journey, no one trains those kids how to work stock. No one trains them how to work a dog. Yeah. They, they, they don't train them how to count sheep. They're all just skills that you've got to, that you've got to um, hone. You learn yourself. Um, if you're interested in it, you'll go out and learn it. Stockmanship. You know, it's, I, I love it. It's what, it's what, you know, whether I'm camp drafting or dog trial, it's stockmanship. It's all stockmanship. It's position, time and control. Um, so many of these kids don't see that it fits in a part, but it's everything because you're a livestock agent. So, you know, if you you can learn how to market them, grade them, weigh them, but do you know how to work them? And, you yeah. know, if you're dealing with every one of those head of stock is that person's paycheck. The more you can get for their stock, the more pocket it goes in your pocket if you're in a commission-based enterprise. So it makes perfect sense to be handling them right and work them right. So they don't, but they don't get trained to do it. And I'd, I'd like to see, you know, where there was more livestock training, even if you don't want to put the dogs in there, where to stand, what side of the gate to go, which way to open the gate, believe it or not, you know, how to yeah. how to establish yeah. flow, how to establish flow, and then get off and let them draw. How, how to keep sheep up, coming up a draft, where to stand, stop walking back along the fence and turn them back all the time, step away, let them flow. A million things that they might think is BS, but it's not. It's stockmanship. Um, how to yard, how to yard spicy cattle. Yeah? How to how to hold together split wieners, you know, marina wieners when they're flooding. All that sort of stuff. You know, it's it's all it's all stuff that once they learn stockmanship, then go get a dog, you'll know how to work it. Because, you know, funny enough, people think that, you know, the dog, the dog, um, you know, he's going to learn it. He, 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 he knows how to work a sheep, but does he know how, how to achieve what you're after if you can't mm-hmm. communicate with him and, and, and get him to do the task that you're after? Um, you, you know, and that's stock, basic stockmanship. You know, that's what makes it, makes it so. Um, that's what I'd like to, like to see from... Um, that's all. And they said, "What do you do, mate?" So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shepherd. I'm a shepherd. Like he said, like I, like I, I can go and find a 20 year old kid and walk his nose. What do you do, mate? I'm a plumber. I'm an yeah. electrician. These these guys are real stock shepherds. Yeah? And they say, oh, and they're highly valued. They will travel like a, like a contract shearing team. They will go and muster on big properties, and they are in demand because it's a trade. It's a trade. Mm-hmm. They've got good dogs, got good stockmanship skills. This country, sure, we've got a lot vaster area um, to cover, but we don't have enough emphasis on stockmanship as a trade. And I believe it's a trade. Get try to get qualified. Don't know how you get qualified. Um, be good at your job and <laughs> yeah. get qualified. But you know, I think it, it's it, if there's a little bit more emphasis on outright stockmanship. I think we'd see it. We'd see it a little bit. You know, flowing in dogs. You know, it's, it's you know all the blokes I talked about and and the people I talk about. They're all good stock and they've all got good stock dogs. So there's your answer. Um, how to get, you know, how to keep this dog industry good and how to keep, you know, this the whole industry. Uh, I won't say improving. You know, just just keep a stand in there. It's, it's got to start with good stockmanship. Um, and it's a, dare I say, it's dying up because not too many dogs. In Australia today, we worked off horseback compared to what they used to be. I can't do it myself anymore. You know, it's too busy, <laughs> too small to place. But, but uh, that's where, you know, the old muster stories. But, yeah, that's my two bobs worth anyway. Log it in.
Yeah. You're all good. Definitely. Is um is there anyone you'd like to see us sit down and have a chat with on Dog Talk? Uh, well, I'm only new to you, you guys. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, That's all right. Who's been on your list? But um, have you played the guys? Is Jeff McDougall? Yeah, give me the guys you've, you've had. There you go. That's one that hasn't been on yeah. yet. Jeff McDougall. Yeah. yeah. Hasn't been on yet. Yeah. No. I'll put him. I'll put him on. Uh, 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 Jeffro. He's uh, like a, a. He's a. He's a stock agent too, but he's uh, he's a career stockman. Um, yeah, you'll probably bark about stockmanship more than I will. Um, <laughs> Queensland went to New Zealand with him. You know, we represent Australia together in New Zealand, and uh, he had a border collie dog, and I had a kelpie dog, and we beat him, and uh, we beat him well, so just quietly. Uh, and he's a good stockman, a good trainer, and a good bloke. So uh, he'll he'll give you some um, a good insight into into. Um, you know, I'm not surprised if he doesn't bark on about a bit of stock and shit as well. That beautiful. Yeah. Mate, it's come to that time of the night. Um, was there a question that stood out to you from one of our viewers tonight? Um, and now we'll be in a bag of Enduro Plus uh, working dog. Uh, the, the, the question uh, was a Rick, I think, or uh, on the on the starting the dogs, you know, how do you... What stages of do you go through with yeah. it? You know, um, you know. I think that's, you know, he's, he's obviously out to improve himself and wants to wants to, um, you know, get a bit of insight into into yeah. um, you know, come and spend come and spend a day at a clinic with me one day and you'll get you'll get a real good dose of it. Um, <laughs> I'm not only impressed that after an hour and forty odd minutes of, yeah. of talking, you remembered the question, but you remembered the guy's name. Name, yeah. That's fantastic. That, that that's a that's an art in itself. Yeah, I did not write it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick, if you want to um, send us your um, details, mate, um, we'll got you got a bag of enduro uh, working dog class coming your way. So, we'd like to thank you, um, Steve, for all your time tonight, along with all of our listeners. One last question. Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or twenty horses the size of ducks? Well, it's almost like the question is the, the size of the dog and the fight or the fight and the dog, isn't it? Yeah. You, know, it's, you can take on you take on a big one and you might have much fight. I mean, you'd get yourself a, a little jockey-sized wildcat, couldn't you? <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it, it, it works along. I, I do know that there's power in numbers. So I'd rather have one coming at me uh, than have 20 coming at me. So I'm going with the big one. And... Uh, that's purely the reason because 20 of them little suckers getting around, you know, it might take a little <laughs> bit of keeping an eye on. So one big one big one might do, mate. I'll, I'll have a crack at a big one. Because that's how that's no worries, mate. Well answered. Well answered. Mate, on that note, um, thank you very much for your time tonight. Uh, much appreciated. And um, thanks for getting in depth with your answers as well. It's been a great chat. Yeah, well, thanks. Thank yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, you know, like a... Uh, to any listeners out there, um, you know, it's but working dogs have been fantastic for me. They they really have. They've they've given me lifelong friends, and and I've made a career out of you know working as a stockman in many different fields. And dogs have been along that journey, so you know they're they're a great they're a great thing to have, and it's a great skill to have um, if you're new to it. Um, 
get yourself trained, get yourself a nice dog, and and there's plenty of rewards out there um, as well. And I hope some of the information passed on here today, tonight, tonight, in our chats of uh, benefit to people. And um, if you've been listening in and uh, see me down the road somewhere, come and say good day. And and um, I'm always willing to have a chat to anyone. <laughs> Don't want the answer. <laughs> I hope, you, I hope you all enjoyed it anyway. And I do thank you guys for thinking enough of me to actually ask because uh, I've probably been on the shelf for a little while and got a bit of dust on me now from dog trialing days, but it's still something that I uh, still yeah. do keep in touch with. Nice. And um, once you've been bitten by the dog bug, well, it doesn't it, it doesn't go And you're more than welcome. Thank you for your time. No, ex excellent. But thanks so much for having me. Uh, no problems. Uh, thanks to all our viewers tonight. And please remember that we learn every day, and a day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank, Thank you. you. Good night.